Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Research. I'm Professor Trish Ray, and this podcast is one of our series from the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. On today's episodes, the tables are turned, so to speak, and I've asked my department chair, Professor and Chair of the Strategy, Entrepreneurship and Management Department, Ian Gallatly, to interview me. Ian, it's a pleasure to welcome you here today, and without further ado, I'm going to turn this hosting responsibility over to you. Well, thank you, Trish, and thank you for the opportunity to co-host this podcast. On today's episode, I have the great pleasure of interviewing my colleague and professor, Trish Ray. Trish leads in multiple roles here at the Alberta School of Business as the Associate Dean, PhD Programs and Research, as well as a professor in the Department of Strategy, Entrepreneurship and Management. She also holds the TELUS Chair in Management and has recently completed a four-year term as the Editor-in-Chief of Organization Studies. Her primary research interests are in institutional and organizational change, professions and professionals, and organizational learning in the context of healthcare and family business. Trish is a highly cited author with numerous articles published in world-class management journals, such as the Academy of Management Journal, Administrative Sciences Quarterly, Journal of Management Studies, and Organizational Studies. Much of Trish's research is empirically situated in healthcare settings. She is particularly interested in understanding how healthcare, health professionals and managers work towards improving the delivery of healthcare. For an organizational researcher, healthcare settings are particularly attractive because they involve highly institutionalized professional standards, routines, and taken for granted assumptions, all of which make practice innovation very difficult to achieve. Clearly, her work has great potential for both theoretical advancement as well as implications for public policy and practice. It's my pleasure today to talk with Trish Ray. Thank you, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk uh, a little bit about this article, this famous article that you published in 2009 in Organizational Studies with co-author Bob Hynings. The title was Managing the Rivalry of Competing Institutional Logics. Now, I will note that this article has been cited more than 1,500 times, according to Google Scholar. It was and still is groundbreaking within institutional theory because it explains how competing institutional logics can be sustained over a lengthy period of time. Trish, can you sort of share with us what you see are some of the key points of the article and perhaps a little bit about how you developed the ideas? Well, thanks, Ian. The first thing I want to say is that I had a very strong co-author working with me, Bob Hynings, who is Professor Emeritus at the University of Alberta and at the time was a professor in the School of Business. So the background or or a little bit of the theoretical foundation for this paper, it was published at a time when there had been quite a bit of attention to this idea of institutional logics, but there was an underpinning idea that there really could only be one dominant logic for a field. And I'm going to explain a little bit what that means. 
Institutional logics are, the are a theoretical construct that's defined as the norms, values, and beliefs that guide actors in an organizational field. And that organizational field is a set of actors that are drawn together through common purpose that interact in their collective accomplishment of that purpose. So this is a very important construct for institutionalized settings, such as healthcare, where the dynamics that happen are really constrained by people's expectations of the right way to do things and the way in which the future should be defined. So in my case, the organizational field was healthcare in Alberta, and I was quite interested in that topic. I had done my dissertation work um, in this area. And there had been two logics, a business-like logic and a medical professionalism logic that were conflicting with each other. This situation came up because the government had imposed a change on the healthcare system and the physicians really did not like the change. So we had two actors battling over which one could win and what turned out was really neither one could win because they were both strong. They both were working with highly institutionalized systems. And it was kind of what you might conceptualize as a draw. And that situation, although we can certainly think of other places in the world and our lives where it happens, really hadn't been considered conceptually. And that's what we did. And we showed some ways in which these two competing logics can continue on and the actors involved still get their work done. So that was at that time a new thing and people uh, found that that was quite interesting and moved on with it to talk about multiple logics in many different settings. Wonderful. And, you know, as someone who lived uh, during that time, during all those changes, I can certainly see the the, the, the practical significance of that and uh, coming at this from a very institutional theory perspective, I can, I can sort of sense the, the tensions here and, and, and why this is just so important. And I suspect that probably even today that we're seeing these uh, competing logics sort of playing out here. But I am particularly curious um, in terms of this, this paper, um, was this part of your dissertation work? No, this, this was uh, related to my dissertation work, but actually it was based on new data collected after I finished. And I was working on a larger healthcare project um, together with Bob Heinings and Karen Golden Biddle, who was at our uh, School of Business at that point in time. And we were following changes over time and really puzzling over the fact that this state of unsettledness could go on for such a long period of time. So it was really driven by some empirical observations about things that shouldn't be happening theoretically, and yet they were. And one of the other pieces of background about this paper, it was really destined to be a book chapter. Um, it was, uh, Bob Heinings and I had been offered an opportunity to participate in a book that was gonna be about institutional theory. And that book went actually quite a way down the road with having papers ready to go in it. 
And then suddenly some things changed and suddenly I received an email one day that said, sorry, we're not going to publish the book. And really we were shocked and perplexed and maybe a little bit devastated that this wasn't going to happen. But then we said, well, what else can we do with this chapter? And we took it out and looked at it and said, well, you know, maybe this is good enough to be an article. And so we dusted it off and did a bit more work and submitted it to organization studies where it actually got a pretty favorable review. And of course we went through a number of revisions, but ultimately um, it turned out to be for the better. So the moral of the story is that sometimes bad news can turn into good news. Yes, and I guess, you know, even though it might not make sense at the time, when you look back, you know, all the dots somehow connect. And so perhaps it was meant to be that um, the chapter that the, the book didn't get published. Now, I know that change is a really core part of your, your um, you have a lot of passion for your research. How does this paper fit into your longer term program of research? So I think in hindsight, it fits in really well. But when you're living the moment, I think it's harder to see a pattern going forward. Um, I think that um, there was always an interest in my part about healthcare. care. Um, I'm, I'm used to work in the healthcare world. I have background knowledge. Um, I care about the state of it. But more importantly, if you're interested in institutional processes, it is an area where there's a wealth and a richness of the setting that allows you to see things that you might not otherwise see. So most of my work, but not all, is has been in the healthcare setting, and that means that that starts to create a program of research. Um, I think that the things that were in that paper, which were interest in professionals and the actions of professionals continues to be a theme throughout my work. Fantastic. Um, now, I, I just want to pull on or pick up on one of your themes that you just mentioned. You talked about a program of research. Um, can you just shed or share some of your thoughts on why it's important to have a program of research? Or, and, and maybe as a junior scholar, how do you how do you start a program of research? I guess you usually look to see what interests you. And when you look around, you see what other kind of work is going on that maybe is an incremental step from what you've been doing. I think it's easier to build on your strengths and move forward than it is to make a big break and, and start over again. Um, that said, I mean, there are certainly people who are very successful at making a significant turn in their work. But for me, I like to build on a foundation and add to it in some different ways. So um, I think it's, it's a helpful strategy to move from uh, one, hopefully one strength to add on to your strengths. And I think that that can be a pretty productive way forward. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, I really wish that there were someone like you that I could have 
spoken to many, uh, learned from uh, many years ago. Thinking of junior scholars now, is there any other things, any other pieces of advice or wisdom that you picked up over the years that you might like to share at this moment? Well, thanks for that opportunity, Ian. Um, as part of this podcast series, we've really asked everyone we've been interviewing to to give some suggestions that they might have for young scholars. And I guess I encourage people who are listening to this one to listen to the other podcasts and see what everyone else has been saying. You know, I think that it really starts with passion. And I think that as a junior scholar, you can get caught up in trying to desperately get a publication or trying to copy someone else. But really, you have to find a topic that you care about. You can care about it for a lot of different reasons. It can be really the theoretical aspects that are the most important to you. Or like me, it can be a combination of theory and the setting. But you have to think it's important. And I think that when you believe that the work you're doing is important, even if you kind of lose your path along the way when you're struggling, um, it can help you keep going. Um, I think it helps you in the end product because usually that part of your passion shows eventually. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that sometimes writing becomes very mechanical and, um, but truly the best writers uh, are, are when you are writing from the heart and it really doesn't matter what field you're, you are or what discipline. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure today, Trish, to sort of hear some of your thoughts and, uh, learn a little bit more about this very exciting work. Can I pass it over to you now and for some concluding comments? Thanks, Ian. And this is an interesting spot to be in, to have the tables turned and to be the interviewee instead of the interviewer. So um, I'm going to now move into my moderator role and, and say that I want to remind our listeners that they might like to listen to other podcasts in our series. And if they do, please visit the Alberta School of Business Research webpage. And now to close this episode of Speaking of Research, I'll remind you that I'm Professor Trish Ray at the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. Thank you for listening. <laughs>